Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Lovely to have your company, Anton Matthews and Linda Heron. We've been trying to get uh, Alexandra Matvichuk uh, from Ukraine there, but uh, certainly a revolving story there. We will try later on in the program see if we can get her, uh, if not, uh, maybe even tomorrow. Uh, also, we're going to be talking uh, on the program uh, about um, truckies or trucking. Would you recommend uh, as a job to others? An Auckland trucking company has set up an old school cadetship as part of its efforts to try and find skilled staff, and it's been inundated uh, with uh, interest. So um, is that you? Is that something that you consider doing? But uh, to this first 20,000 community cases of COVID today. 373 people in hospital, nine in ICU. Meanwhile, the so-named freedom protests, these are still ongoing and have now ignited throughout the country. Taranaki, Otatahi, Auckland, Domain. And of course, in Wellington, where it has become somewhat embedded over the last three weeks. And now in Picton. A convoy of protesters made their way from Christchurch to Picton on Saturday with the intention of getting to Parliament. Well, Marlborough Mayor John Legger says that the Picton locals are completely over the protest and they want the group to pack their bags and head home. With us uh, on the line is Marlborough Mayor John Leggett. John, welcome. Yeah, thank you for this. Yes, good opportunity to get our message out. Thank you. You're, you're over it. We are over it. And look, to get it in context here, this unlawful occupation of a really important reserve in Picton has been going on for the last three weeks. Uh, We've had people coming up at the weekend and replacing the ones that are here. We've had people leaving Picton to go over to Wellington. So it's become, if you like, a springboard for, for, for the Wellington protest. Picton is a small town. This protest you have going on, uh, John, because I've seen images of it in video, it's not small, is it? It must affect the whole of Picton in some way. Absolutely. Look, remembering Nelson Square itself is a very prominent uh, uh, local reserve. It's adjacent to State Highway 1, so it's got a high profile for travellers. But it is a public reserve. Size-wise, it used to be a a cricket field, cricket wicket in the middle. So a very small area. And over the last three weeks, we've had varying numbers camping there, camping illegally. Uh, So, yeah, the Picton residents are over it. And you'll see from those video images that there are a number of residential uh, homes in and around uh, Nelson Square and some businesses uh, a lot of elderly people living there. They've had to put up with all the noise and disturbance that comes from a large group of people on a very small area. What's the behaviour like and how are, they, uh, how are they dealing with amenities? What sort of amenities do they have at their disposal? Uh, look, they've, uh, they've certainly organised themselves very well. They've got port on site. They've got a generator. Uh, they've been tapping in, as we understand it, into some of the council uh, water supply. Uh, So they've really set themselves up. I've got to say, the behaviour from the protesters that are currently on Nelson Square is unacceptable. Explain more. Why? How? It's a public reserve. They are upsetting the Pickman residents, and that uh, upset is starting to filter right through the Marlborough community, and I suspect right through New Zealand. Look, the protesters... Uh, Their cause is lost. They've overplayed their hand, and I'm sure that's how fair-minded New Zealanders will judge them. 
Well, we have a panel and uh, they can talk about that. But uh, it, are you are you really confident about that? Do you, are you confident that they don't have the support of other people in Picton? Because they might say that this is the most important um, protest uh, or the most important act of community they've ever been part of. They feel so strongly about, so strongly, John, they've lost their jobs. Yeah, that that may be the case, and and, and a few people I, I totally understand that. But look, I talk about fair-minded New Zealanders. We all respect the right for people to express themselves, this freedom of speech. But there are some boundaries around that. The occupation of Nelson Square is unlawful, and that's where it starts and finishes. Someone says, check out now, check out Picton. They had horses in with the protesters yesterday. Um, let's go to Linda. Oh, it's just so sad, isn't it? It's such a sad and ugly side of, I guess, that New Zealand psyche that we've always thought we were in there as a community together, and this is really exposed to a pretty ugly core of dissent. And I find it really sad. I mean, I think about even in my own um, group of friends, I've got a few pretty strident anti-vaxxers who I have decided not to kind of mute on Facebook just because it's interesting to know what they're saying. And they're posting things every single day, sometimes twice or three times a day, and egging each other on. And it's quite interesting because, you know, I think about the whole COVID response and I don't think I've posted a single thing online about it since I got my first jab back in August. And that's the thing. It's like for a lot of us, we have moved on already from this kind of level of vitriol. This pointless, isn't it? And yet they're really digging in and quite obsessive. It's really sad. John? They certainly are digging in, uh, and we're, we're seeing that in Picton, but we're also seeing it in Wellington. But look, I, I agree with you. I mean, that people have got the right to express themselves, and I think we all uh, respect the fact that some people have taken a, a really hard line, a strong line on uh, whether to uh, uh, get vaccinated, and that's fine. Um, that's their, their lawful choice. Uh, but there's a lot of other people uh, that have um, hold a different view, and we have to learn that respect. But... Coming back to it, unlawful occupation of a public reserve in our, our our district is unacceptable. And of course, Anton, it's mirrored in Otatahi Christchurch there in Cranmer Square, which is uh, it's actually not even a park; it's actually a reserve, quite small, quite a beautiful park too, um, surrounded on all four sides by residents. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've seen the images. I haven't driven past Cranmer Square recently, so I can't speak to it myself. But I've seen the images, and you know, it does seem to be a trend around the country. I, I'm not, I don't know if there's much I can add to what's already been said. I think you've captured it well, um, Mayor. People, I think, around the country do respect the right for everyone to be able to protest. I just think that a lot of people feel that um, they've outstayed their welcome, they've made their point, and um, it's time to get on with things. Uh, I think it kind of goes back to my point before, Wallace, about Tinoranga Tiratanga, and this is why I've been thinking about it so much. You know, that, mm. you know, from my point of view, because uh, I, didn't, I don't like putting needles in my arms, you know. Uh, it's actually not something I enjoy as a general rule of thumb, but I have but I have um, had three of them in my arm recently, a double vaccine and a booster shot. But, you know, for me, um, I, had to put the t- I had to put that to one side in order to um, do what I had to do in order to protect the community, the collective, you know. And so for me, I've got a grandmother uh, who, is at, uh, who is high risk, you know, if she catches COVID, um, things may necessarily not work out well. I also have three tamariki. Um, two of them are, are, have had the first dose, but I've got a toddler who hasn't had any at all. And so yeah. it's actually thinking about other people. And I think, you know, I think around the country, I think people are just getting a little bit hoha, a little bit frustrated, and I uh, want to get back to normality. 
That's an interesting example there uh, in terms of uh, Tinaranga Teretanga there, uh, Anton. So you didn't, you, you, you put those three jabs in yourself. You didn't necessarily want to, but there were others to think about. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't normally make a habit of stabbing yeah. myself. It's not something that I enjoy doing, but I did it, not because I wanted to, but because it was actually the right thing to do for the collective. And it's about the Tinaranga Teretanga of the collective, looking after each other. We've never been, I don't know when it became about me, me, me. In my, in my experience, Māori have never been me, me, me. It's always been about the tribe, the iwi, the people. So I don't know where we got lost along the way, but Tinoranga Tiratanga isn't about me. It's about us, and it should always be about us. What's best for us? Hey, John, so you are now asking the government to consider the Picton protest as a key part of the Wellington protest. Do they need any more stress than they, than they are already under? Well, I think it's fair to say that the numbers in Picton pretty much mirror what's happening in Wellington. What we want to see is a greater police presence here in in Marlborough, and particularly in Picton. People feel a little bit more assured about their day-to-day life when they know there is a police presence. Look, we have always had the greatest respect for our police force, uh, and I certainly don't want to be critical of them, but what I'm saying to the politicians, to government, Look, we need a, a greater police resource here in Marlborough at the moment. We need our numbers boosted to give us a little bit of comfort. Look, I've got a story I'd like to tell you, and I'll, I'll tell it very quickly, but it may quite last an impression on me. I had an elderly resident from Picton make an appointment to see me today. It was made with my uh, one of my helpers here. And she came in, and I helped her up the stairs, and we sat down, and she was sitting on the couch, and I could see she was quite emotional. And the first thing she said to me is, I'm not a complainer, but my health and is suffering and I can't sleep. My husband's the same. We can't stand the noise. We don't like people walking around us with no masks on. We fear for our health uh, and there doesn't appear to be any end in sight. And she said to me, what would you do if they moved in over the road from you? And that's a really hard question, a really hard question to direct to me. The only thing I could say to her is I'd probably be sitting exactly where you are now. People are really at their wit's end, and I want the protesters to get a really clear message. They've made their point. It's time to move on. John, kia ora to you. All the very best for the wonderful town that is Picton, and a pleasure having you on the panel. Uh, that is Mob Mayor John Leggett there, whose uh, message to the protesters there is, you've made your point, it is time to move on. Uh, just before we go, just in terms of these cases, when you, when you think of um, 20,000 community cases covered today, because that was the other big news, Linda Hallinan, what do you hear when you hear that number? Well, see, I live in the county's Manukau region, and we're up to one in 20 people now have COVID. And that is just, you know, that is one kid in every school classroom, except for the fact that we're seeing it disproportionately. You know, we're seeing whole classrooms going down. I mean, it is a scary time. And I think anyone who thinks we should just let it rip and get on with it, um, maybe you might want to check themselves. Um, we Paul says, we overcame our vaccination hesitancy and they should too. Don't call them protesters. Some people, to some people, that's a badge of honour. I call them mandate moaners. Uh, Rachel in Roxborough says, Totoko, completely your words, Anton. It's not about me. It's about us. Kia ora, says Rachel. 18 past four, the panel, uh, NZ National. Anton Matthews and uh, Linda Helena with me this afternoon. 
We've spoken about the ongoing trucking shortage before on the show. Today we return to this issue with some good news. An Auckland trucking company has set up an old school cadetship as part of its efforts to try and find skilled staff and it's already been inundated with interest. And we decided to do this um, little piece because we have quite a few truckies uh, texting in to the programme, presumably when they're not on the roads. Maybe they're a truck stop or the petrol station, what have you. But anyway, anyway, Managing Director of Transcom, Blake Noble, is with me on the line from the wonderful Walkworth. Blake, welcome to the panel. Thank you, Wolf. Good afternoon. How's the trucking world, Blake? Mate, it is moving more than ever. It is. Um, we we are, yeah, hammer down, as it were. Hammer down on the trucking world. What sort of impact has the trucking shortage had on your company? Uh, look, I think it's. Um, I think it's put more strain on everyone and more more workload. The the reliance on people, um, the ability for people to take leave is is certainly a a challenge, um, which is is obviously not a healthy component. Um, of it, uh, and I think it just gets in general uh, the weight on everyone's shoulders is 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 greater. Uh, in, in short, all right, Blake, tell us about this cadetship. What drove you? Excuse the pun. What drove you to set it up? Tell us about it. Yeah, look, I think um, well, we just decided that there's a there's two bits for us. One is culture that that we know that when we get people that fit with our business from the ground up. It just it just hums. It just works properly, and if people uh, have had the opportunity to learn and to be, for lack of a better term, a bit um, a bit naive and 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 green, they can ask the silly questions. They can make a few mistakes, and that's that's ultimately how you learn. And and we want to bring people into into our business that are that are there to learn. They're there to listen, and they want to learn from some experienced people around them. Um, I, I don't think it's unique to our sector that there's just a, a, no. a shortage of, of people in general. And we want to attract people to what is a great, great industry. Uh, a great industry. I've always had a dream, Lynn Helen Ann, of being a truckie. You know, when I was 10 years old, I wanted to drive a Kenworth, uh, yep. you know, honk the horn. <laughs> uh, and actually, I wanted, I wanted a truck with a sleeper cab so I could... <laughs> So I so I could sleep there uh, and get away from my parents. What about you, yeah. you Linda? Linda, is is this I, something that could appeal I to you? I can't say I can't say Willis that I've ever had a fantasy about being a truck driver, yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be any good. I can't even back a trailer full of compost, so I'm yeah. sure I'm pretty sure I'd be fired pretty soon. But I absolutely agree that it's a great thing to see industry taking the lead and you know seeking their own staff and training them on the job. I don't know why we have ever moved away from cadetships. It seems nuts. Um, when the best way to learn, we all know, is by giving something a go and giving it a crack. So I congratulate them and, you know, good luck trying to get some good stuff. Well, so we've had a, the the, the uh, influx has been vast and varied and it's actually been a lot of people uh, later in life are coming to us as well. So people has who, it? Like you, Wallace, have been, they've always wanted that sleeper cab <laughs> and um, they've been harbouring that interest and suddenly the opportunity presented itself. Yep, there you go. It's not too late. Okay, Blake. Before we go to Anton, I've got a, I've got a real challenge for you, Blake. Yeah. Um, uh, if I wanted to drive an articulated truck uh, with a sleeper on the back, um, but you're speaking to someone who can't drive at all, mm. yeah, <laughs> that's a problem, Wallace. Stick to your day job, Wallace. <laughs> Blake, is there an issue there? 
No, anything's possible, (laughs) and uh, technology's come a long way, Wallace, we'll say that. Yeah. All right, Anton, let's bring you in. Oh, look, uh, I I think it's great. I I really do, and I agree with Blake. You know, if you can bring... Um, if you can bring new blood, young blood, and I don't have to be young, but you know, young as mm. in just fresh to the industry, and uh, you can you can shape them really uh, well to fit within your culture. And you know, when you get that right, I mean, we we do the same thing in our industry, uh, in our business. You know, we try to bring people in while they're young, um, show them a, a whole sort of plethora of different things, and and let them find where they're comfortable. Um, as long as you get that attitude right and that culture right at the beginning. They tend to stick around a lot longer, so your staff attrition rate uh, is much lower than it is if you're bringing people in um, from outside. I, I think it's a really good business model. It, it does take a little bit of work up front um, because you have to train people uh, and, and get them up to that skill level, but the, the initial work up at the front end pays dividends for a long, long time, especially if you can retain their staff for a long period of time. So it's good, I it's think good it's advice. really, really good. Good advice, yeah, It Blake. works really well for us anyway. Is that Sorry, good yeah, advice? No, I was gonna yeah. Say, I, yeah, well, it is, and I, I think one of the, the ironic things is that we've got an aging workforce in our in our industry, so surely that's that's a wealth of experience to use to train young people up. So you've got this resource sitting there. We're just trying to harness that, and and that's really the you know at the heart of it for us. We've got some really experienced guys that have been in it for thirty or forty years, and they get a real kick out of helping you know people come to to grips with how to drive an articulated truck. You know, that's, there's some real satisfaction in that for the person training. Now, Blake, I've uh, got a text here. Uh, don't forget the women drivers too. Um, Not so, Yep. That you're, 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 this is open to all? Absolutely. So we've got, uh, we've already got some um, uh, female drivers in the team um, and and we're open to, yeah, you name it, we're, 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 we're open to it. Because okay. um, everyone brings different experience. Uh Got to mention the money. What sort of what sort of money are we talking? So I think people would be surprised by how much some drivers are earning in more specialised operations. There are, there are people, um, good number of drivers that be earning north of a hundred thousand dollars a year now driving trucks. Um, in the right role, they will be working a few hours. I don't I don't deny that. But if I look at our team, they get a real satisfaction out of being able to work. They're not. They're not looking for a nine to five. They are wanting to, to they, they don't mind getting up at three in the morning and going and feeling like they have delivered something that day. Sorry, excuse the pun. Uh, but but literally have, you know, the, the satisfaction of, of what they've moved and, and who they've helped. Um, okay, yeah. look, Blake, a um, bit, bit of interest here. And we have a few truckies uh, listening to the panel uh, are going about their day's work as well. Uh, uh, someone asks, is there an, an age limit? I'm 77 and I would love to give this a go. I have driven all my life. So we've got, I've got uh, two drivers in our team that are well into their 70s that, that have got no sign of giving up. Um, Good on and, you. And, no, nah, not at all. All right, very, very good, Blake. All the very best, and uh, I'm pleased uh, that it's uh, been going well for you so far. That is Blake Noble there from Workworth, Managing Director of Transcom. Um, uh, I don't know, Anton, have you – I guess why I was interested in that was because um, I really do see truck driving as quite a skill when I see how they they negotiate the road. Um, It must have extraordinary patience, eh, to be able to drive uh, a truck uh, as we see. Yeah, oh, totally. It, it is absolutely a real skill. Uh, we, I mean, we've got a, a very, very small food truck, and I'll tell you what, driving it takes a wee bit to, to kind of, um, to, in order to kind of just 
be aware of the size and the yeah. scale of it. It takes real practice. There's a huge amount of skill. And I have to I have to agree with Blake. Um, I know a few truck drivers, and boy, do they, they work hard. Uh, they're not afraid of burning the midnight oil. Um, they're great, great people. You know, they come in um, to, to our business all the time. They've always got a smile on their face. They're always happy. So I've got nothing um, but good things to say about truck drivers. And I'll tell you what, when the when they're a very very important part of the of the chain, when it breaks, yeah, a whole bunch of things come to a standstill, and that's one of the things that I'm a little bit worried about as we kind of work through this Omicron. If our supply chain, if our truck drivers get Omicron or, or get sick, we're not going to be able to get food. Everything comes to a standstill. So, a vitally important part of our society. So, no, you really, really feel it, won't you? Because the hustle group, what you uh, was Farno led uh, company there. Um, mm. uh, with, with, uh, quite a number of interests across various eateries. Yeah. If this well, happens, it's going to... It's going to stock if the truck drivers can't get there. It's going to hit you hard. Yeah, of course it will. Absolutely. Yeah, no. Nah, so um, we rely on them. Uh, we, we, we probably get uh, at least half a dozen trucks at various parts of the day will come and visit our restaurants and they're Gosh. all dropping off different things. And if... Um, if one or two of them go down, like I said, the, the, the whole menu, we're crossing things off the menu left, right and centre. That's not wow. going to be pretty. Wow. Uh, 27 past four, the panel, RNZ National. A little bit on this, uh, ironic, considering we're talking about uh, water-only diets, in, uh, well, water, just water, rather, in schools uh, and away from the fizzies now to this. But anyway, pineapple lumps, you know them, you love them. But you may have noticed that Pascal have recently been having a crack at giving other fruits the lump treatment. Uh, we've already had peach lumps, didn't know that. Uh, and now the limited edition, they don't sound very nice, the limited edition Fijoa lumps have hit the, hit, hit the shelves. But is this a cynical ploy by the company to co-opt what see, some see as Kiwiana for the market share, as has been suggested? And if it's not the Fijoa lump, what, lo- what lolly can you not turn down? I've told you now, I've told you mine, it's the black ball. Those little wee uh, aniseed lollies from the 70s. Text us 2101 around the panel first. Anybody tried these Fijoa flavoured pineapple lumps? Linda Hellenan. Let me just put all of the listeners who haven't yet tried them. Um, this is a public service announcement. They taste like a sick burp. Oh, oh no! You're Thanks, they Linda. Add, they, Thanks they for that. They are revolting. I thought the LMP lumps <laughs> oh. were a travesty, but they, these are just very <laughs> odd because Fijoa is a very unusual flavour, and it's okay in a fruit and okay in vodka. I found, but I really haven't seen it translate particularly well um, as an artificial yeah. flavour. And these, I don't, I don't know anyone who likes them. So mm-hmm. you're saying that they're disgusting? Uh, I'm saying that they are kind of gross in a fascinating sort of way <laughs> i wouldn't say they're disgusting because they're covered in chocolate and you just eat the whole bag anyway but they um they are not particularly appetizing i would not go oh i crave some of those whereas you, you know give me a box of scorched almonds and i'm away <laughs> okay so scorched almonds is your bag right linda well i mean more my box to be fair if i get a box i'll eat the entire thing so I try not to have them in the house but good I think grief. you shouldn't tinker with things like a pineapple lump the pineapple lump is good on yeah. its own i don't think you want to be playing around with it Anton? Yeah, look, I've tried them. Uh, I, I was fascinated. Um, I tried the peach lumps, didn't think much of those, <laughs> and I have to agree with Linda. The Fijoa was, yeah, it was yeah, very underwhelming. I had to, having tried the Fijoa lumps, I can say that there uh, is still only one true Fijoa lolly, and that's the sour Fijoa, available yes. at all good dairies around Aotearoa and a good pick and mix uh, at most supermarkets. That's, that's a great lolly. 
Uh, but really, there's only there's only space for one Fijoa lolly, I think, on the market, and it's that one. Fijoa lumps, uh, no, thank you. No, the sour Fijoa, oh, what a, what oh, a yeah. legendary. Yeah, um, Howie in Hawia says, um, for me, got to be snifters. Um, people agree with Let it go, right? Howie, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the snifter's not coming back. The other thing that's interesting, when you say the sour Fijoas, do you mean those kind of like mm. wine gummy ones? Yes. Because like, yeah. don't there's you think a, that they have a slight a aftertaste of kind of petroleum? They sort of taste a little bit like petroleum. <laughs> well, I've... Well, I'll, I'll never eat them the same way anymore, Linda. Thanks for that. But yeah. no, um, oh, no, there's a wee family. The gra- oh, it starts with the grapes. I think that's where you sort of get introduced to the family. So the sour grapes are pretty good. There's also a, I think it's a lemon, but the feature was, oh, I could, I could smash it, at least three or 400 grams of those in one sitting. They're very tasty. Um, uh, <laughs> um, down with sparkling water, no doubt, Anton. Amber says, Absolutely. Uh, uh, Macy's do a delicious Fijoa lolly, which I can't go past. It's so tart and tangy, very Fijoey. That sounds great. So it's got to be the black ball for me. And if it's not, uh, anybody recall the spearmint leaf? Because that was a bit of a treat as well. Oh, yeah. Anton. Yeah. Uh, my producers loudly said, yeah, uh, which uh, is wrong because they're a beautiful lolly, uh, nice and chewy. Um, text I've us. Got a classic Coke bottle, Wallace. Oh, there we have it. Um, alongside uh, wash down by nice milk bottle. Uh, what's your favourite lolly? You can text us two one zero one. Anton Matthews and Lynn Helen with us this afternoon on the panel.